Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a SAGE publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. To set the stage for today's discussion, a recent report reveals that 75% of security professionals witnessed an increase in attacks over the past 12 months, with 85% attributing this rise to bad actors using generative AI. AI stands for artificial intelligence. The report also finds that generative AI is positively impacting employee productivity and collaboration, with 63% stating the technology has also improved employee morale. It's a real pleasure to have Dr. Tony Huang as my guest to shed light on the positive and negative effects of generative AI on cybersecurity. Dr. Huang has over 10 years of experience in artificial intelligence and machine learning as an innovator, disruptor, and implementer. He's also the host of the AI podcast. Tony, welcome. Hi, great to be here. Delighted to have you. And I also wanted to mention to the listeners that Tony was a guest speaker in my professional MBA class over the summer, and students absolutely enjoyed his presentations, his insights. So I couldn't have asked for a better subject matter expert to shed light on this very important and significant topic. Before we get into the details, uh, Tony, share with the listeners some of your professional highlights and subject matter expertise. Yeah, so thanks for for inviting me on the show. The majority of my life has been in the the hard sciences and also in uh, professional services. And so I spent a lot of time helping companies build up their AI practice and to, to kind of shed light on like my background, have over 10 years of AI ML data science experience, I have over 10 plus patents to my name. I got awarded presidential award, Bill Clinton as well as an award from uh, Congressman Paul Tonko due to my work in the big data space. Yeah, I've been in the space for a long time, have developed a lot of like AI-based like tools that people use in various industries like hard sciences, fintech, retail, uh, food and beverage. The, the thing that I'm really proud of is that I've built a like computer vision-based product that right now is being miniaturized to go up in the space. So that's really cool. Fantastic. I'm sure you can, you know, come at this subject from every possible angle, but I always like to start from the basics, ground zero. And I think it's only good to give uh, listeners a quick overview of what is AI, artificial intelligence, 
Where has the field reached today? And where does generative AI fit in? So why don't you begin along those lines and then we can take it from there? Yeah, so AI is like this buzzword. Um, in fact, I don't think it like 10 years ago, they, they didn't care about, they didn't know what AI was. But at its core, AI basically is powered by a thing called neural networks. And so a lot of companies, I'd say like f- about five years ago, a lot of companies uh, started using the word AI and what and anything and everything they were they were doing. So like they were taking like really basic things like decision trees, which is like the most basic type of machine learning uh, algorithm and calling it AI. That's incorrect. That's just kind of getting on the hype train. So to kind of like paint the picture on like what AI is and where it lives, you got to compare it against like data science and machine learning. And so I'll start off with like data science because that's kind of easy. About 10 years ago, data science was actually called something else. They like a data scientist was actually a statistician and a statistician basically has competencies in like statistical methodologies. They they typically have like a bachelor's or a master's in applied math. And a key characteristic of them is that they don't really know how to code. So like new languages had to form because of that. Like for instance, SAS, SAS was formed because, you know, they, they wanted to have something that was SQL-like so that a data scientist could understand it. So a data scientist is like basically the foundation layer and basically, at the end of the day, it's just someone who knows math but doesn't know coding. Now, as like computer systems became more and more powerful, there was a bigger demand to use better, more capable algorithms. So machine learning arose. And machine learning basically is just like a more advanced form of data science methodologies. Basically, you're taking the a data scientist and making them know how to code better. Now, a characteristic of a data t- scientist versus a, a machine learning engineer is that a machine learning engineer knows how to code, but doesn't know the science, like the, the math behind it, versus a data scientist knows the math, but doesn't know how to code that well. So these machine learning engineers, they started using Python, which is a coding language. And a lot of libraries started popping up, like we're talking about pandas, NumPy, SciPy, scikit-learn these more advanced forms of data science methodologies arose. And there was a big period of time where a lot of people who were data scientists, they wanted to upskill, become machine learning engineers because the, the type of work and the amount of money they were getting paid was higher as a machine learning engineer. So we saw this transition from a data scientist to a machine learning engineer in terms of like a job trajectory. Maybe like seven years ago, that's when AI really started popping up. And basically at that time in this evolution, that's where deep learning started materializing. So deep learning is basically a very advanced form of machine learning where you're using neural networks. Now, a neural network is basically, I don't want to like give you the textbook definition of it, but a neural network has two different subcategories within it. There is the computer vision aspect of it, and then there's the natural language processing, NLP. Now, the the reason why deep learning arose was that they wanted to mimic the human brain process. So in a traditional machine learning, in the traditional machine learning world, you can't do things that humans can do. Like, for instance, if you were given a picture of a dog and a cat and you say, which one's a dog and a cat, a traditional machine learning algorithm won't be able to do it. So a new type of framework had to be developed, which is neural networks in order to accomplish this task. So two big fields arose from this, from deep learning, which is computer vision and then NLP, 
which is uh, text. In computer vision, you're using a specialized form of neural networks known as convolutional neural networks or CNNs. This can have different values to it, such as like being able to not only detect like a dog versus a cat, but, but be able to do more advanced things like tracking or objects uh, segmentation. And so like the Tesla car, for instance, that those cars, those smart cars have cameras built into it where it does object tracking and that uses convolutional neural networks. If we go over to the second camp within the deep learning like group, you'll notice that there is the NLP group, the natural language processing, which is for text like analysis. And that's powered by recurrent neural networks or RNNs. So for a long time, the most popular form of neural networks was actually convolutional neural networks, neural networks, which is the computer vision. So that arose like smart cars. We had camera tracking systems for surveillance. But then in the background, there was also a lot of development for natural language processing, which is finally arose a thing called Gen AI, which is generative AI. Now, at the heart of it, Gen AI is powered by recurrent neural networks. It is a more advanced form of NLP, where not only does it predict like the next word within the sequence, but it predicts like everything afterwards. And so Gen AI actually became really popular. Actually, they had a lot of starlight within at the year 2017 when OpenAI released the first Gen AI uh, publication. And from there, there was a lot of uh, development within the research field, research innovation field um, around generative AI. And it wasn't until the last, say, like 18 months when generative AI became more mainstream. And now you're seeing it deployed on a like consumer level, which is the reason why you're, you're seeing so much hype around it. But yeah, like long story short, Gen AI is basically a more advanced form of NLP, which uses recurrent neural networks, which is in the deep learning field. And that is a more specialized field within the machine learning space, which, which again, the machine learning space is more advanced form of the data science field. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, I think uh, you've provided a very in-depth, very sophisticated insight into the field of artificial intelligence and how it's evolved over a period of time. Generative AI is widely used term. We are layman's definition would be type of artificial intelligence technology that can produce various types of content, including text, imagery, audio, and synthetic data. And I've been tracking artificial intelligence over a couple of decades. You're correct that the word artificial intelligence has been overly used and probably misused. Because in the early days, from a business standpoint, we had expert systems, which were the early developments in the field of AI. And the promise was that we will get to a stage one day when technology will try to imitate or mimic how humans learn. We've made definite progress. Now we are seeing the first glimpses of how technology is being used to generate text, generate audio and new stuff, new content. But of course they have to be trained and we will talk about all that. So it's a fascinating area. It's great to have people like you innovating in that space. Now, if I had to draw a connection between the various, let's say, generative AI tools and platforms out there, what is the connection between generative AI and cybersecurity or information security? How do you look at the two? So right now, there is a big emphasis on the client side of, obviously, 
privacy and security. On the development side, there isn't, primarily because of the fact that everyone wants to rush to the top. So uh, what's really interesting is that if you look at the way that these foundational model developers are, uh, when I say foundational models, I'm talking about your chat GPTs, your Anthropics, like these big, big models that take a long time to build, take a lot of money to build, requires a ton of GPU power in order to power everything. When you compare like how they're treating the privacy in the cybersecurity space in, in relation to these foundational models, they are disregarding it. And it's kind of interesting because the reason why they're disregarding cybersecurity right now is that on the development side is that they everyone wants to rush to the top. So what they're doing is that they are taking all of the responsible AI committees, all of the privacy committees, and they basically just laid everyone off in the past uh, six months. And that's kind of frightening to see because what that means is that when you like fire your like responsible AI committee, what that signals is that they want to go fast because these committees actually slow them down in order to accomplish their goal. And th there's a reason why you want to get slowed down there's a good reason and a bad reason, right? So the good reason is that if you get slowed down, you can figure out like, oh shoot, like we did something wrong or like we're we're taking data that we shouldn't be taking or we're taking PII data and doing something with it when we shouldn't be doing it. And those safeguards, those human safeguards are in place for a reason, right? To ensure like stupid stuff doesn't happen. You know, when innovators innovate, they innovate because that excites them. They don't think about the negative consequences because they expect the legislators, regulatory bodies would jump in and do the needful. But you're exactly right. In the rush to be the leading producer of a technology that's got the attention of organizations of the market, they want to reap first mover advantages. That's probably to ensure responsible development and use of AI-related technologies. I want to get your thoughts on how organizations are leveraging AI and generative AI to secure themselves, to secure sensitive data, to secure their network. I was uh, reading a recent research report, and it was very heartening to note that Artificial intelligence is being used for network security, for data security, for endpoint security, for identity and access management, application security, cloud security, and IoT security. It is heartening because they all represent the attack surfaces. And so trying to protect them, uh, plug the vulnerabilities is hugely important because if you think about the perpetrators, they are using the same technology, but they are you know, using it in a negative way. And it is very concerning where human voices are being cloned. Let's say I get a call from my daughter saying, can I have access to that particular resource? Can you share with me your login and ID? I normally would just share it with her as soon as she asks, but now I have to pause and ask specific questions such as, hey, do you remember what we ate for dinner last night or where we had dinner? It's almost like I have to verify the accuracy of the source that's seeking that information before I give the information to her. And here I'm talking about 
a family member. So that is concerning where and how negatively the technology is being used. You shared a similar example in class, and I think you cloned the voice of one of the students just to demonstrate how powerful the technology is. But I'll turn it back to you. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd say the there are a lot of positive uses you could use Jane AI for, but also there's a lot more negative uses you could use it for, right? So phishing attacks are, that's a very common type of an attack, but I would say like right now, it only targets like the older generation, like the talking about like the baby boomers who like are, are above 65 and older. Those are being targeted right now because they don't understand the technology very well. Like they'll get a call and they'll, and the call will be from like one of their relatives asking for money because of whatever, or some like event that happened, right? Like either they got arrested, they're in trouble with the law, they got their car like total or something like that. But for like people who are like in the younger crowd, those are a lot harder to be fished, right? So the concern right now is is Gen AI targeting these like baby boomer population, which is like a very large population within the US for their money for like their retirement funds, et cetera. Honestly, the only way to right now, the only way to counter that is just with education with the baby boomers. And there are some like general practice, best practices that you can do. Like if you get a call that from somebody that you don't know, like the number is unknown, obviously treat it as if it's suspicious. But if it's like from someone that you do know, then you can you don't have to have that guard up. Um, th- that's those are very basic best practices. I mean, right right now, the go to method for penetration is a uh, like a social attack through their customer service line of a company. That's always the best like attack, in my opinion, because if you think about like a customer service rep, typically they have access to all every single database at the company because they need to be, be able to pull in information in order to ask uh, a query from a customer. And typically those, those people have more, it's kind of interesting, they have more access to databases at a company than say like a engineer working on whatever project at the company, right? And then also that customer agent hat is customer facing, which means that they're talking to the public. And so that's an easy point of attack. I would be more concerned about social engineering attacks over phishing attacks because of just the the accessibility to the data. And plus, a lot of the customer service reps don't have the proper training in order to detect and evade these like social engineering attacks. So that's why they hire a lot of like internal or external, you know, white hat type of hackers or like, you know, they, they do like security penetration tests runs uh, against these like customer service reps. But to me, those are kind of uh, current problems that are being faced in the enterprise world. The stuff that really worries me the most about Gen AI isn't like phishing attacks or any of that stuff. My biggest fear right now is the replication of human images or video or voices. I think a week or two ago, the absolute scariest thing that I've ever seen that negatively impacts somebody that uses Gen AI appeared on the news. And it was a a high school in New Jersey. And there were teenage kids, teenage boys running around and what they noticed was that the, the teenage boys were acting weird for some reason. When they confronted the boys, they realized those kids were sharing AI-generated explicit images of a classmate. That is the scariest thing in the entire world. The availability and the ability to generate explicit content for an adult person is already here. And you can transition that over to underage kids very easily. And that's what we saw and on the news was that transition. And there's no way to control that. There's no countermeasure to control it. We're seeing some businesses 
try to create some type of AI-generated detection system. Even the White House has issued a, a recommendation for these like gen AI companies to produce a watermark on anything that is gen AI produced in terms of images so that we can detect it. Right now, there's no safeguards in place. I'm sure somewhere on the dark web, they're distributing it. I mean, this is just the, the first publicly recorded use of Gen AI that is so bad that like it scares me, <laughs> you know? You know, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is extremely concerning. In fact, I have a talk coming up at my high school in India on advising high school students on what are the do's and don'ts to protect themselves from different types of cyber threats. And what you bring up is definitely a huge one. So, and you mentioned that there are no real controls out there. So what can parents do? What, how can they advise or instruct teenagers to be careful, to be watchful? Do you have any thoughts on that? Just the standard, your standard, like setting up a dialogue with the kids, telling them the, the positive and negatives of uh, having an online presence. I mean, kids are going to have an online presence regardless because they're kids. But there was a report this week that was released by the FBI stating that there was an increase in the amount of Gen AI explicit content that was being created from the original source without consent of from the user. So basically, they were taking like th th there's reports sent to the FBI saying like, hey, someone took my normal images, made them explicit without my consent, and then started distributing it through like social media and through adult content sites. That was an official publication by the FBI. So within that publication, they they stated uh, some best practices for parents. They, you know, they stated open up dialogue with their kids, monitoring their child's activity, online activities, and then monitoring the, the different social media sites that they're going to. Those are just Again, like regardless of it, whether it's AI or not, that those are just standard best practices that any parents should take. But in terms of trying to safeguard yourself against explicit generated content that's being exploited by someone else, there's really no way for you to counter that at this current time. Like if I wanted to take an image of you from the public, I can go Google your name, grab a couple Google images about yourself, and then turn those into explicit photos quite readily. There's no way to stop that. At this current time, there's no safeguards because it's the wild west of, of Gen AI at this point. And along those lines, and I think you mentioned this in class, you know, you could take my voice, a recording of my voice, and use it for all kinds of nefarious purposes. And I may not even be, be aware that my voice is being used to promote illicit products. Who knows what? Yeah, it's super easy, right? It's very easy to do. If you have an online presence, and you have video that has obviously audio of you talking, I can extract that and I can make a like a gen AI voice or a gen AI avatar, like a video avatar about yourself without your consent, like very rapidly. And what's my protection there? You don't have any protection. There's no protection. So for, imagine like if you have a podcast that runs for a couple hours of you talking with video, or if you have a YouTube channel or TikTok or whatever, with video and audio of you talking, I can extract that and I could like throw it through a Gen AI like framework and it could produce to me out either like an audio only like duplication of your voice or I could have an avatar created. And when I say avatar, I mean like a video software generated duplicate of yourself and I could like type in to it like whatever it is that I want and it would say it back with 
the same uh, voice profile as yourself or the same video profile as yourself? Yeah, that is very concerning. So let's say if something were to occur to anybody, you know, I would assume that you would recommend that they go and inform law enforcement. Yes, you have to inform law enforcement or the, the content administrators. And, I, and, and then I have a question for you. As a technical person, how easy or difficult is it to detect the creator of such content? It's very hard to detect the original creator of the content. Like if you post your images online or if you post videos online, so if you post images through Instagram, right, which is online, or if you post videos like TikTok or YouTube online, anybody can have access to it because it's in the public domain, right? So like they can go and generate like an avatar or or a voice profile based on that. That's that's where Gen AI really shines is that it, it makes it very easy for you to do something like that. Now, in terms of taking like personal photos of yourself, right? Like, like imagine like if you took online photos of yourself and then online or like offline photos of yourself and you were to send me offline photos, that doesn't really help me like at all because I like the amount of images that you need and the amount of video that you need, like you still need quite a bit of images and video in order to create a, like a duplication, like a software generated duplication of yourself. So like one photo that you send me like personally, doesn't really help me or like one video that you send me personally doesn't really help me, but I, I need a little bit more of it in order to generate the content. You could just take like regular run of the mill images and photos and duplicate them and do whatever it is that you want. Now that's going to affect the average sys, right? But for the next year, the thing that worries me the most is the upcoming election. So with the upcoming election in November of next year, I am anticipating that there is going to be a lot of AI generated content from the candidates that will say things that are bad or there will be explicit content of the candidates leading up until the election. So if I can interrupt you for a second. So we are essentially talking about fake news, fake information, an explosion of it, because that's been around. And that leads me to say that we, as consumers of that information, have to become extremely sophisticated, also very skeptical, and be able to filter through that noise and not trust what we see or what we read, which is a skill or a trait that doesn't lend itself easily to the generations in the current environment where we are constantly on the internet, on the various social media platforms, we're constantly engaging, responding, interacting without thinking too much about, okay, who can take my text or my voice or my image and do what with it? We don't even want to go there. But I think this kind of awareness is extremely important. Uh, it is true that in this podcast series, I focus on organizations and how organizations can secure, protect data and other strategic assets. But I think we are talking about something even more fundamental, you know, protecting humans from extortions and the discussion is well worth it. Yeah, go ahead. The thing is that there are vendors that are trying to counteract that Right now, like I want to preface this right now, there's no like automated solution to detect any of this stuff, right? It's completely wild west. Like OpenAI tried to create a like a, a gen AI detection system for text, but that grossly failed. Like it was 
it failed so bad that they had to shut it down, right? So just trying to pick the picture on like the, the general landscape for AI detection or sorry, gen AI detection. Google this week, they released a a new like terms and conditions on the website where now for any type of gen AI generated material that specifically targets like politics, current like condition, like current situations that are happening out there, you have to disclose it on the actual episode that is AI generated. You don't have to disclose it if it's satire or for comedy, like if it's like gen AI content, but it's like more comedic or satire, you don't have to say that it's AI generated. But in terms of like this AI generated verification, you have to do it if you do not do it. And yeah, you know, it's found out that you that it was actually AI generated. You will have your account like suspended or terminated. So they are taking it serious. But in my opinion, like that's a very primitive way to try to detect AI generated content, right? Like YouTube right now has no algorithm out there that just sweeps through the videos to detect whether or not it's AI generated. They are using like human like human verifiers to go through the video and determine if they think it is AI generated. And from there, there's like a voting system that if you cross a certain threshold, then the video gets flagged for suspension or or termination of the account. But again, like there's like there's no way for anybody to detect AI generated content right now in an automated fashion. And like we have to do it soon because if you think about the upcoming election that's going to happen in November next year. There's going to be a lot of AI-generated attack ads. Like I can personally guarantee you, like all of the swing states are going to have a ton of money pumped into AI-generated attack ads, and so you're going to be bombarded. Like if you live in a swing state, you're going to be bombarded by these attack ads, and you're going to have a hard time distinguishing which one's real and which one's like AI-generated. And that is where like we need we kind of have to draw a line of like what's being like computer generated versus what is being human generated right now out like there's absolutely no way to detect it if i may draw a comparison to what you're saying with say organizations and competition i'm sure that these tools could be abused by competitors to cause disrepute to other organizations you know where uh, producing fake ads on product services, service levels. Even better, right now we're seeing customer inquiries. Yeah. Yeah. Right now we're seeing AI generated like reviews on product pages. Exactly. That is one of the ways that you could use Gen AI to like take down a competitor, right? You would go on their website onto the product review, hit it with the Gen AI generated responses and just flood it with negative one star or two star reviews. Or go on like Google reviews, right? And go on to their actual local store and hit them with Gen AI reviews that are bad. So that's a way to just destroy a company's reputation using Gen AI. And we're actually seeing that right now. That is an active thing. These nefarious companies are attacking companies' reviews, either through product or through their brick and mortar store. And again, there's no way for the company to protect itself. I guess what I would be thinking then, if... You know, if I'm running the organization, I'd hire a team to constantly monitor against such attacks and inform and proactively detect if possible and take necessary action because this threat is not going away 
it has to be handled on a continuous basis. And of course, it's a hit on company resources. It's almost like a cost of doing business. Yeah. Companies don't have the, that money to just resources over to like triage like that. I mean, like the best thing that they could do is like, you know, if you get hit with a ton of, if you're a company, if you get hit with a ton of um, bad reviews, just look at the, like the span in which, like the time frame in which you get hit with the bad reviews, the IPs of the, uh, the reviewers, also the verbiage of it. And like to it, the human eye, you could kind of spot like whether or not it's a, you're getting attacked by a bot. But if it's spaced out over time and like it's from different IPs, like they're doing, they're doing like a thing called IP rotation, which is a very common technique to rotate your IP. That's kind of harder. That's a lot harder to detect, right? Yeah. So like there's more sophisticated like attacks for reviews like that. That's what I would do. Like I would have like a, like a time delay between like different reviews and then switch up the different LLMs that are producing the reviews so that the verbiage changes. And then also do the IP rotation and you can get away with like hitting a company with really bad reviews. And those are very basic techniques that I would do. Like it, it, it's not like something advanced. So like I'm assuming companies have done that before. Like it's so rudimentary, right? Yep. In fact, the fact that you mentioned about bots, I was, uh, my research finds that uh, AI driven bots can autonomously navigate through intricate website structures, swiftly adapting to changes and updates. Their ability to mimic human behavior uh, grants them that cloak of invisibility, allowing them to blend seamlessly into legitimate traffic. And that's the challenge. You know, how do you differentiate between what is legitimate and what is not legitimate? And we are multi-processing. We have a ton of things in our mind. So the first thing you read, I must admit, I tend to believe. But now I have to condition my mind to not believe to constantly question, to validate. It's almost like my training as a social scientist comes in handy where, and in fact, I encourage my students as well, that don't just trust the information and insights that are presented to you in whatever form, go deeper and evaluate and examine the sources and how those numbers or those insights came were produced so question the legitimacy of the source, investigate, and then come to a conclusion. But that requires training, conditioning of the mind, and that's not the strength of the masses. You know, people from all walks of life are consuming this information. They're forming opinions. Many of these are customers, or all of them are customers of some sort or the other. So this has individual implications, organizational implications, national implications. You talked about your concern about the forthcoming elections. If it can happen in the U.S., it can happen in any part of the world. So this has been very illuminating. I wish we could go on, but in the interest of time, we have to bring it to a closure. Tony, it's been a real, real pleasure to summarize. There is good news and there is bad news. The good news is, Generative AI has tremendous capabilities. If leveraged effectively, they can help innovation. They can help enhance security. So there can be a lot of benefits from generative AI. However, at the same time, there are these concerns. There are these realities that we've been discussing of different types of extortions, producing fake information out there to ruin 
individual organizational reputation. And so the messages that I take away from this discussion is we have to be even more paranoid. We have to be even more skeptical, even more careful on how we digest information, how we share information. We need to think twice, maybe three times before we put something out there, whether it's our personal photograph or it's any other artifact or anybody else's, we have to be extremely vigilant else somebody is going to take advantage of that. And like you said, the unfortunate situation is there are no great controls. And so you are out there literally fighting your own battle. I mean, I, I wish I could summarize it in a more positive manner, but it seems like a wild, wild west out there. Everybody for themselves trying to protect, secure yourself as best as you can, because whatever controls need to be in place, whatever re regulations need to be in place, they have either not reached a certain level of maturity and or there also requires global collaboration because many of these perpetrators are probably sitting in some other country engaging in these kinds of attacks. And so to get to them is can be extremely challenging. I'd let you finish up uh, with some final thoughts and words, Tony. Yeah, you're going to have to be very vigilant about your online activities, monitor them, make sure that like, you know, you follow best, standard best practices whenever you post online. And obviously, like, you know, if you see anything bad, report it to the site administrator or the FBI. Those Right now, those are the big hot topics, but it's all, all loom and gloom, right? Like we're talking about all of the negative stuff about uh, Gen AI. Gen AI still allows you to do a lot more positive things. It's just that the technology itself allows you to like decide between doing something good or something bad with it, right? So like the good with it is that you can like speed up drug discovery or like build new products that would like help out humanity uh, faster and better. And then on the flip side, like the bad stuff you can do is like, you know, impersonations that that could re do reputational damage or like you could do something even worse, like you could speed up the development of like bioweapons or something like that, right? So there's a huge spectrum of like things that are good and things that are bad that you can generate with Gen AI. It's just, an, at the end of the day, it's just another tool, right? So like, I just view it as like another tool, whether you can do something good with it or something bad with it. Right now, it's getting a lot of attention because uh, of its capabilities. Also the ability, you know, the capabilities and the potential of it. But, you know, I'd say like the next two, three years, that hype is going to die down and it's just going to be another tool that, you know, exactly like cloud computing or like any of the, these other tools that we use commonly in our day to day. It's just right now that it's the Wild West. And the reason why it's the Wild West was because the government enacted like a company first mentality when it came to Gen AI development. So they allowed companies to like build out whatever it is that they want to build out with and without any type of government foresight or regulations, which is why it feels like the Wild West. Now with the executive like order that was given out, there is some guidance as to like the direction in which companies should be going into as best practices. They don't have to follow it, but it's just like it's voluntary. And that like right now we're we're just kind of waiting and seeing. Obviously, with the executive order came the, I think there was an AI summit that happened in, in the UK that followed a couple of days after. And I don't know if you watched that or not, but it basically, you had the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, with, with, a, with a bunch of other representatives from different bodies of government. And to me, it wasn't like something that was being pushed 
heavily at the AI summit. I, I felt as if it was more like symbolic, like it was a symbolic re- relationship or like symbolic representation of what the US government wanted to do with our allies. And so again, like long story short, everything right now is completely wild west and until there's more like there's more like definition and refinement and guidance as to what you can do with this technology the best option is just to be on your guard there's no technology out there that can counteract any of this stuff so like i would recommend just figuring out like best practice what people are doing best practice wise in terms of like safeguarding your your online identity safeguarding like certain things that you could do that you can control and not being like too scared about this technology Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, in a sentence, making mindful use of technology. You know, technology can do good, technology can do bad things, but, you know, being very conscientious, being very deliberate, being very vigilant, and being very wise in the use of technology. I think that's what we are both talking about. Once again, Tony, this has been wonderful. Thanks again for your time and expertise. I know listeners would greatly value this discussion. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. A special thanks to Tony Hoang for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization. 